0: I think the first revolution was virtualization. The second is actually using the cloud, and the third is is code. And that's you know when something is uh, uh, being affected by code, you see security teams becoming closer to developers. And the concept of DevSecOps, I think, is a, is a great proof of how code affected the way that we do security, that we do. Operations.
1: Welcome to the DevSec for Scale Podcast, the show that makes security a first-class citizen for growing companies. Welcome back everyone to the DevSec for Scale Podcast. I'm Jeremy Hess, and with me today is a very special guest. We have OHAD Meslish, who is the co-founder and CEO of Zero. Ohad, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today?
0: Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I'm having a great day.
1: Great, it's a pleasure. Um, so let's go straight into it, even before we talk about you and your journey to where you where you are to end 0 So more and more we're obviously seeing uh, the move to infrastructure as code since probably say 15 or so years already, um, plus maybe. Can you tell us a bit about where this idea of IAC started and how far we've come till today?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think it's the know when we talk about DevOps the, the uh, concepts of both developers and operations doing things together and if you look at infrastructure and applications uh, a lot of things have changed applications became more complicated and infrastructure became more complicated <clears throat> or with more options and with that different technologies emerged when we look at the uh, operational folks trying to automate, their uh, tasks they started writing code when that started they started with the the uh, natural basic scripts like bash scripts and then it became more uh, sophisticated maybe with the uh, python or uh, uh, more uh, levels in that in those scripts but then some concepts emerged with the uh, configuration management chef puppet and later ansible And that really helped automating configuration, but not yet the infrastructure, uh, because you didn't do much with infrastructure seven or 10 years ago. You had one server, one virtual machine running a Java monolith or something like that. So you just need to configure the Java application. Uh, But now that you have cloud native, so many different resources, Kubernetes containers, Uh, Lambda functions, uh, platform as a service, so many things that you consume from the cloud in different uh, types of resources, Um, you need to manage your infrastructure in scale as well. And that's why you have CloudFormation, Terraform, and infrastructure as code. And the interesting thing to see is how they work together, those frameworks with configuration management and other scripts uh, in order to manage your infrastructure and application end-to-end.
1: Got it. Yeah. So uh, definitely come a long way to uh microservices. Uh we we I've had a few podcast guests as well talking about security of microservices and it can really be a pain when you get down into the into the weeds of every service. So uh let's go back, take a step back. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh Ohad, uh what you've been doing until now and what led you to End of Zero.
0: Yeah, thanks. Uh, so I think first of all I'm I'm a geek. I like uh, I like tech. I start programming in the young age. I worked in tech in uh in the young age. And I was always doing uh, you know de- developer work uh, and <laughs> later became a manager, but uh, then at some point I, I switched and become became a founder. Specifically about N Zero, I had my a company, it was actually a services company. And we did some very interesting projects with some uh, amazing uh, customers. And I remember one time I was sitting uh, with a customer of, of one of my customers. It was a very big uh, American insurance company. And I remember that I found an issue in the uh, ELB, their uh, load balancer in AWS. <clears throat> and they needed to change the configuration of that ELB in order to, to fix the issue. I was expecting somebody to click a button in AWS in order to modify that load balancer, and then I saw that this person opens GitLab, changes Terraform code, and merge, merge the pull request or the uh, or the code, and then uh, it's uh, being executed. And then when uh, we took a look again at the AWS account or the GUI, I just then noticed that it's read only. And it was, for me, an aha moment for, hey, AWS is such a, a, you know, advanced all based access system, and eventually the humans have no access, and only the code has actually full access to provision and update cloud resources. And now we have those DevOps engineers that need to manage two totally separate systems, the code and the cloud accounts, and they don't have the tool to bridge that gap. So that led me thinking that infrastructure as code is totally changing the way we operate and manage our, our cloud accounts. Started talking with a lot of uh, potential customers, and uh, you know the 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 normal story of uh, founders raising seed money or pre-seed, having the first design partners, having the first users, customers. Uh, more fundraising, and so on and so on. And here, here we are today.
1: And That's it. Just as simple as that. And I want to make a mention as well, we talked about this before the show, for very briefly, that you have a podcast as well. Do you want to quickly shout out that podcast?
0: Ah, yeah, thanks for letting me share, give a shout out to my podcast. So it's dot podcast.com, the infrastructure's code podcast, so everything about DevOps and especially around infrastructure, infrastructure, as code, how it affects uh, the architecture and the processes within the organizations. Yeah, we have uh, some uh, amazing guests in the podcast. It's on uh, Spotify and other platforms, so uh, please uh, follow and see uh, see for yourself.
1: Yeah, we'll put a link down in the description of the episode Thanks. for sure. So yeah, of course. Thanks. So, Thanks so much. yeah, so so that's great. So getting back to uh, IAC, your specialty here, um, you know, obviously. Talents developers are using still and or were using Terraform. Uh, that's the the big name in the room, the elephant. And uh, not too long ago, HashiCorp, you know, made a, a quite a bit of a stir in the news with regards to their licensing. Can you tell us a bit about what happened, why it happened, and why it's really important to developers like yourself?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, indeed, HashiCorp on in August decided to change most of their uh, open source licenses to something called BSL, Business Source License. Uh, it's dif- definitely a different uh, approach. And they have several very popular frameworks. I think the top 12 vault, which uh, is related to the thing that uh, Achilles is doing. and. Um, and Terraform, so they've changed the, the license of most of those uh, frameworks. Now, specifically about Terraform, Terraform has a vast ecosystem of uh, open source modules, providers, <clears throat> and other tools that work together with Terraform and provide a lot of value for Terraform. I can mention Atlantis, InfraCost, uh, Chekhov, I can zoom in and, and elaborate on that value, but all in all, you have an ecosystem of solutions that help you to manage your infrastructure code or your infrastructure at scale, with confidence, secured, uh, not expensive, and so on and so on. Um, <clears throat> so when they 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 made that change, immediately it uh, creates more uh, concerns about the future and the limitations of what can and cannot. Uh, be done. Um, there are other open source infrastructures, code frameworks, such as uh, Pulumi, for example. So immediately, we've heard about some folks that are uh, thinking about migrating from Terraform to Pulumi, pausing their projects to migrate from Cloud Formation to Terraform. A lot of uh, instability was added to the Terraform ecosystem and not sure what's going to be in the future. With this amazing opportunity, a uh, small uh, not a small but a nice group of uh, of vendors and community influencers decided to embrace this opportunity and to ensure the uh, future of the Terraform ecosystem as open source. Uh, I am proud to be one of the folks behind that and we created what was initially named OpenTF later renamed to OpenTofu and contributed that to the Linux Foundation and CNCF, so it's now officially a project within the Linux Foundation and CNCF. As a project, there it has all of the needed governance to ensure uh, that it's being impartial and involving the community as as it should. And uh, this project already gained some a lot of momentum. About twenty thousand, close to twenty thousand GitHub stars on the project. A lot of contributions, a lot of innovation and also the maturity of this project that uh, just uh, recently announced the general availability of the of the OpenTofu which also includes not just the binary itself uh, but also a new uh, Terraform registry which is like an index to all of the providers and modules that you need so it's a drop in replace uh, you just can easily use open source and this will add a lot of stability around the uh, ecosystem of the Terraform concept, the Terraform language, uh, in order to make sure it's, it's open source. So if you use OpenTofu, you know that you're using open source and it will remain open source because it's under the Linux Foundation. So it's uh, guaranteed it's going to be open source forever, unlike a vendor-backed open source project and
1: you and zero was also one of the backers uh, is one of the backers of the project as well right
0: indeed indeed so we we are we are very happy to be one of the uh, main supporters of uh, open tofu and if we look at the official uh, way such a project is being managed in uh, those foundations you have a technical steering committee and everything is published and uh, well documented and those decisions are being done in that committee and we are uh, very proud to be uh, involved in that uh, technical steering committee as well yeah
1: fantastic that's a, a really great thing that was done and obviously we can you can tell just based on the engagement that uh developers really really appreciate it and um it's going to have hopefully a really long life throughout the future as it uh develops as well so Going a little bit now, shifting a little bit towards the security side, I actually had um, uh, Iran Bibi, CTO of a great company called Firefly. I'm sure you're familiar with them. Uh, And we discussed policy as code uh, and how that enables developers to stay secure and focus on getting their work done, um, but also keeping security in mind. What are some of the technical security vulnerabilities that you've seen develop in the IAC realm in general um, and maybe even something in OpenTofu specifically, uh, and how are you guys addressing those kinds of concerns?
0: Uh, <clears throat> wow, yeah, definitely. And Hi uh, Tour Iran is is a, a great friend, and I I like him and Firefly very much. Um, so before we talk about security, I think it's important to understand uh, the responsibilities of today's engineers. Uh, I sometimes give the uh, example of uh, Spider-Man. If you remember the movie, I think it was Spider-Man's dad who told him with uh, great power comes uh, great responsibility. Uncle Ben, I think that was. Ah, okay. So you know better than me about uh, the movie. But regarding that quote, uh, it means that now those infrastructure engineers can easily Change code; it's in their GitHub, and something, somebody, in a few seconds or in a few minutes or maybe a day, uh, will execute that code. And that code, again, uh, is representing your infrastructure. And if you do that, it, it looks; it's just code. It's not like actually uh, putting a cable in the router or changing the configuration that you really feel that you're doing. Something to the infrastructure. It feels more real. It looks like yet another code that can have a bug or something, a small bug in the application. No, this is the infrastructure. So you can easily create security uh, security vulnerability. And you know, SSH, you can create instances with uh, SSH open or a weak password. And you think it's just going to be deployed maybe in your dev environment or in one specific branch. And you're not sure when or where it's going to be executed because it's code. And in your mind, it was just for this environment. But you don't have the context of where this code is going to be executed. So yeah, things like SSH and just the the rules of uh, the inbound traffic that you accept to your uh, machines, to your VPC, to your network. All of those things can easily uh, be done in, in, in a wrong way. And when we talk about policy as code, that's the de facto standard on how you enforce several policies that forbid you from uh, doing the wrong things. You also have uh, static code analysis tools that look both on the code and what's called the plan, what's going to be executed. Uh, Chekhov, TFSec. Terror scan, those kind of things really help you to uh, to block and shift left those errors and making sure that you're not provisioning the wrong things security wise. Absolutely.
1: So that being said, how does all you know, how do these types of things impact the future journey of where AIC IAC sorry is headed? Um, and, and like, what it, what is the impact that it's going to have on, let's say, not just DevOps, but the DevSecOps uh, idea as well going forward?
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> I think code is the third cloud revolution. I think the first revolution was virtualization. The second is actually using the cloud, and the third is, is code. And that's, you know, when something is uh, uh, being affected by code, you see security teams becoming closer to developers. And the concept of DevSecOps, I think, is a a great proof of how code affected the way that we do security, that we do operations, and, and so on. So I think any organization now needs to understand that the concepts that were relevant 10 years ago need to change. And you need to understand how you're going to manage your infrastructure and code Together, whether it's processes, whether it's the type of folks that you hire, up until five years ago, you probably hired just folks that understand AWS to manage your AWS account. But now, if you, if they don't know CloudFormation and Terraform, they're probably in the wrong. uh, it, It will be more challenging for them to be fruitful and helpful for for that organization. And same for security. If you just have folks that understand in uh, firewalls, that's that's nice. But now when everything is in code and you see your infrastructure being changed by uh, Terraform or Pulumi or uh, other scripts that are running and affecting your security, you need to understand which are the right tools that work hand-in-hand with those technologies. So I think we are seeing another major revolution, how cloud is becoming code. And that affects DevSecOps. It gives the DevSecOps a lot more responsibility. And it's a different culture. It's a different approach to shift left security, starting from the code, whether it's the infrastructure or the, or the application code.
1: Absolutely. Um, and the next question I was going to ask, and of course, throughout this whole episode, you've been mentioning a bunch of these tools that you just mentioned, tools. I was going to ask what your sort of go-to open source tools are for security in in this you know sort of IAC DevOps DevSecOps type of world. What are what are some of the ones that off the top of your head just kind of are maybe even what you use on a regular basis?
0: Yeah definitely. So I I mentioned policies code, but uh, I still didn't mention OPA, open yeah. policy agent. OPA. Yeah. Um it's a graduated CNCF project, and uh, this is the de facto way, the de facto standard today, to implement security at scale with with code. So if you're thinking about, you know, if you work in DevSecOps and you still didn't hear about OPA, and you still didn't write some policies in, uh, in OPA, uh, I think you should. And uh, this is the most effective in my opinion, the most effective and important way to scale your security, help your teams to move faster and stay secure.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. On that same note that you just mentioned about moving fast, but staying secure, what are some other tips that maybe you might have for developers that can sort of facilitate that? And I'm not talking about necessarily tools, maybe even sort of thought process, frameworks, uh, ways of you know dealing with uh, the culture, for example? What are ways that they can make sure they're still able to get the work that they need done? Because, of course, we need it done. That's like our first priority. But the other first priority is we need it to be secure.
0: Yeah. I think we can look at that from two different ways, from the user and from the admin point of view. The user, let's say you're a developer and you have tons of things to do and if you notice that some of those tasks are regularly being uh uh like taking too long for those to be accomplished because you wait for somebody else there is a bottleneck you need somebody to change the security settings you need somebody to provision a new kubernetes cluster or or namespace for you if those things don't take Im- like immediately or oh, Definitely, if they take way too long, over and over again, up to the point that you abuse your existing infrastructure uh, in order to just develop the things you need to do, your responsibility in the organization is to raise that concern to your uh, your managers, for them to be aware where the bottlenecks are. On the other hand, if you are an admin, if you are those managers And you see that you have a very busy person. Uh, This person probably needs help, whether it's small folks on the team or different tools or different processes. I remember one time I met an engineering leader. He manages like 300 engineers. And I've asked for like 30 minutes of his time. And he has like a very nice office. And I sat with him. And we kept talking and talking. And the conversation lasted two hours in his fancy office. I remember at one point in in the meeting, I've asked him something. And he said, honestly, I don't know that answer. Alex from my team uh, knows that answer. And I said, can we call Alex for for two minutes uh, for him to answer my question? And he said, oh, no, no. Alex is super busy. We cannot... We cannot ask Alex anything. He's he's too busy. So if that's if that's the case, Alex being too busy means that a lot of developers wait for Alex as well, and the entire organization is uh, not as efficient as, as it can be. So if you are the executive, if you are the admin of what's going on in the organization, and you see those bottlenecks. And there are some folks that you are worried about approaching them because they're too busy. That's a problem you you need to fix. So I think that's my culture kind of answer of how to identify those issues and remove those bottlenecks.
1: I like that. That was a a great tip. One of them that we haven't had yet, because usually our tips are more tech related, specific to a tool or something, uh, some way of securing, uh, you know, whether it's SSO or or other ways, you know, there's a great, obviously great tips, but the cultural aspect at the end of the day. I mean, when you're dealing with large organizations, if
0: you're. Why Alex, maybe he's maybe busy, maybe he's not using Okta and SSO and then he has a lot of issues that he needs to fix if he had something like octa he probably uh, be more efficient to set those uh, rules in octa and then uh, he can do other things so no longer bottleneck when it comes to user and permissions so yeah it's it all adds up to the human bottleneck
1: very quickly absolutely perfect ohad thank you so much for your time this was a fantastic episode i had a great time and i'm sure our listeners will enjoy this as well so have a great day thanks so much for your time and for all the listeners out there stay safe see you next time
0: stay, stay safe thanks Jeremy.